This is Joy. And this is Claire. And this is Joy and Claire. A weekly podcast talk show about the things that bring us together. Make us happy. Make us whole. Make us human. Hey guys, this is Joy. And this is Claire. And this is Joy and Claire. And Laura Lagos, because we all know the sassy dietitian. She's back with us. We've known her for years. We met like ages ago through the podcast, through social media, and we have a lot to talk about. So we're not even going to waste any time. If you don't know Laura Lagos, it's sassy dietitian, the sassy dietitian yeah, on Instagram. You know, okay. I know, sassy. but like your handle on, on Oh, yeah, Instagram. yeah. The, the, sassy, the dietitian. sassy dietitian. But you can Google sassy dietitian and all things Laura Lagos and work with her. And we'll put everything in the show notes as far as where to find her. Um, she's a registered dietitian. And we just have a lot of things to talk about today. We've like bottled up everything from the pandemic. You just had a baby. We have a lot of diet, diet culture to unpack here. So let's start. Cool. Let's start with the topic of pregnancy and postpartum, because that is the closest to what you, you've dealt with personally. But what are people writing in about the most? What do you hear the most about with pregnancy and postpartum? I think the biggest theme that I have found with trying to conceive pregnancy, miscarriage, postpartum, across the board is everybody wants to know like what they should and shouldn't eat. And there's just, I didn't realize how rampant diet culture was within that season of life, obviously, because I had never been through it. And I think that's my biggest takeaway from this all is like so many people are so worried about what they should and shouldn't eat as if like, if I eat one wrong thing, everything's going to go completely wrong. And like, you know, Claire and I have obviously experienced miscarriage and it was none of our doing. It was literally just that that process is a natural part of, unfortunately, the process because it was not a viable pregnancy. It sucks on so many levels, but it wasn't because I ended up eating deli meat or I didn't eat enough fruits and vegetables or I didn't have the right supplement. For some people, yes, if you go into it with a poor diet and lifestyle and habits and, you know, drinking, drugs, anything like that. Yes, that can have an effect. But like, I just find people are so, so worried about the minutia. And I just tell people, I'm like, you have to take a step back. Like you have to try to enjoy the process and recognize that you're not going to ruin everything just because you decided that, you know, you wanted to have an extra cupcake or, you know, you forgot your prenatal. I mean, I can't tell you how many days I forgot my prenatal while pregnant. Like it's, it's not a perfect, it's not about being perfect. And I just, I don't, know if that's social media that's been playing on people. I don't know if it's because OBs and midwives don't have enough education on nutrition to help people understand. I, like, I don't know where it's coming from, but it's really rampant. And I try to show people like my first trimester, I literally survived via Lemonheads, Starburst, and mints, like sugar. I survived on sugar and I'm like, I, I could not stomach food. And here, have you seen my child? Like he is healthy and fine and well, and so am I. So that's kind of how I feel on that. I just feel like the fear mongering around the whole process has got to stop. So let's take a step back. How old is Connor? 
five months. In March of 2020, you had a miscarriage. You went on, obviously, to get pregnant again and have Connor full term. Yep. And and then now have been sort of navigating the postpartum period. And you're breastfeeding and pumping. Is that correct? Mostly breastfeeding because I only pump on days I have childcare. Okay. And and are you exclusive? And you he is still exclusively breastfed? Okay. Yes. And it's a whole other rabbit hole. Milk we fed. Go down. Yes. Yes. Whole other giant rabbit hole. And I think that I personally think that a lot of that, of those questions come from people being in the middle of a process through the conceiving and pregnancy process, wanting to control the one tiny thing that they can control, which is their diet. And that that process can be so incredibly hard when it doesn't go the way you want it to go. And, you know, if you are having fertility problems, if you have had miscarriages, there are likely reasons for that that you will never know. And I don't mean that from like a spiritual capital U universe way. I mean that from like a biology standpoint, you know, a lot of fertility infertility is undiagnosable. A lot of miscarriages are undiagnosable and it's not because it's something that, you know, there's not like a, a switch that was flipped when you ate a cupcake, you know, like there is a biological thing going on. It's just that a lot of times for a variety of reasons, many of those reasons rooted in the fact that the amount of research out there about women's health is painfully lacking and is difficult to obtain because doing medical research on pregnant women is ethically impossible, right. that the little things that you feel like you can control are your supplements, are your, you know, whatever foods you're eating are the foods that you eat preconception. And like Laura was saying, of course, like there's better and worse, but like, you know, meth addicts that live under bridges get pregnant too, not to be flippant about it. But like, truly, that's what I would always tell myself is like, listen, if somebody who's like addicted to drugs can get pregnant, it's not about whether or not I remember to take my like desiccated beef liver organ capsule today. I wanted it yes. to be about that because then that was something I could control. Yes. You know, a lot of people when they get pregnant after a miscarriage are like, what can I do? And I'm like, the biggest thing you can do is to just let go, like stop Googling things, stop going down, a, just stop doom scrolling on Instagram and just let go. Like that was the healthiest thing I could have done is stop controlling things because you can't there. Like you said, like there are just some things in biology that they happen for a reason. And I don't like that phrase. Like everything happens for a reason. I hate that. But like there are reasons within science and within our body and anatomy and biology that things happen because they're not supposed to happen. So you get a lot of fear-based questions, which is understandable, like people just wanting to do the best that they can. So kind of like going swinging into the middle of the things that they can do without taking it to an extreme, what do you suggest? Like supplements, like the, the basics that people can do? I would say if you can start before you're trying to conceive, because there's already so much stress and kind of things out of your control, especially a lot of people in the first trimester, you're just surviving. So if you think that you want to get pregnant within the next six months to five years, even like start putting things into place now, because if you think about it, your body is like a reservoir of nutrients. 
And so if we go in in a drought, then it becomes more important to work with, you know, do more work, I guess, with nutrition while pregnant. Whereas if we're going in filled to the brim, then we have way more wiggle room. And we it's the last thing we have to stress about when you already have to stress about getting blood work done and making sure you're even like able to sleep or hydrate enough or stay hydrated if you're throwing up all the time. Like, I think that is the biggest takeaway is if you can focus on balanced meals, building a healthy relationship with food, making sure you're staying hydrated. If you're taking supplements, learn how to be consistent with them, move your body, like all of that beforehand. Now, if you're the person who's like, well, crap, I'm already here. Like I can't, it's fine. Don't think that, oh my God, like I ruined everything. I'm just telling you that if you can do it beforehand, if you can't, if you're already there, then the best thing you can do is one, stay hydrated Two, lean into the sleep, lean into the relaxation because you're going to be exhausted. There's a reason for that. And two or three, three, uh, eat balanced meals. Like literally just try to have a protein, a carb and a fat. They don't have to be perfect. It can be a freezer meal for all I care, but get balanced meals. Cause that's going to, what is going to be what fills you up and helps you get to the next day. It doesn't have to be rocket science in order to feel good and to fuel yourself. Going through pregnancy and worrying about weight gain is something that most pregnant women deal with at some point, especially people who are who have been very entrenched in fitness and very entrenched in diet culture. And, you know, even your OB will tell you, oh, here's like the weight gain curve you should follow. And I remember yelling at my midwife when I was pregnant with Miles, when I had my gestational diabetes test and she was like, yeah, all your blood sugars are great. All your blood, like blood levels are totally normal, but you know, I just want to make sure that we're keeping an eye on your weight gain. And I literally looked at her and was like, you just told me all my levels are completely normal. So come back to me and talk to me about my weight gain if my levels start to get out of control. But I'm me and very few people would actually, you know, talk back probably to their midwives like that. And instead they would leave thinking, oh my gosh, I better go eat some low fat yogurt and walk 10,000 more steps. So how did you deal with that mind game throughout pregnancy and in sort of like the early phases of postpartum? I would say for me, postpartum was way harder than pregnancy. Pregnancy to me, biologically, it just made sense. I'm gaining weight because I'm growing a human. So never once did I question it. I also think that I have thin privilege. Like I don't have people looking at me and questioning my weight. If I gained weight, it was because I needed to, which is that's where the problem is within healthcare is that they look at somebody and just assume they're healthy or not healthy based on their weight. Whereas I should not be treated any differently than someone who whose BMI is higher than mine. Like we should both be treated the same. So I think I have, unfortunately and unfortunately, I just, I had a good experience because there was never brought up to me that I should be worried about it. I gained, I want to say 35 pounds from beginning to end. Granted, I also went to 41 plus weeks. Um, but it like, that didn't scare me. Like I, if I had gained 45, it wouldn't have scared me. I, I think I forget what the stat is, but the stat is something outrageous, like 70 plus percent of women gain more than the recommended amount. And to me, that says that the ranges are wrong. That means that 
that's just not right. You know, there's people who gain way more and there's people who gain way less and they still have the healthy outcome that is their child. So I don't, I think that we need to put less emphasis on it. My practice that I was at, I think the nurses did an amazing job. I don't know if they're like that with everybody, but like I would get on the scale they wouldn't say my weight and they wouldn't make commentary. And I had a friend tell me who she's very petite and the nurse, it depended which nurse she got. One would be like, oh, great. You only gained a pound. Or one would be like, huh, like would just make that comment. So now she's like, she would just, you know, call me and be like, am I I okay? And I'm like, yes, you're fine. Um, But that commentary, I think, really messes with people because now they're like, what did that, what'd that mean? You know, and you're so, I think one thing I never truly understood is how much anxiety and how nervous you are being pregnant because you know that there's so much that could go wrong. And it's, it's just a mir- the miracle of life is that everything has to go right for it to go right. And so I, I don't think, long story short, I don't think I had much worry about that because to me, it just made logical sense. I'm gaining weight because I'm growing a human. If that means I gain more weight than they say, so be it. And that's why I try to explain to any client too of like, it's going to be hard because the number might feel really uncomfortable, but you're growing a human. And that takes a lot of extra energy to do. And, you know, fat isn't a bad thing on our body. Fat on our body means that we have fuel stored for when we need it. So yes. So that's how I feel about pregnancy. Postpartum is really, I think, what messed with me. Not so much like I I didn't step on a scale until my six-week appointment because I, I don't believe that the scale is very helpful to me personally. Um, I find that it just messes with me because I weigh more now than I did years ago, but I'm definitely, I would say pre-pregnancy, I weighed more than I did previously and I was the fittest I'd ever been. So I recognize very early on that like, you know, my weight does not dictate my health, but I would say what was hard for me body image wise postpartum was one, my, my, my stomach was like a bowl of jello. And I don't mean that in the way it looks. I mean it in the way it felt. Like I, you can't engage anything. And this is coming from a background of athletics. Like I was, I was almost defined by my ability to perform fitness activities. Like it was to the point where I, I couldn't, like if I was sitting on laying on my couch, I couldn't sit up. I had to roll to get up. And that to me was the hardest part is I felt very disconnected from my body. I felt like I had no idea who I was. I had no idea. Like my body just felt like I I was out of body, but I was trapped in it. If that makes any sense. Um, So that's what I struggled most with um, is just like relearning how my body feels and trying to respect the heck out of it because I know all it did for me, but that doesn't mean I was perfect. You know, I'm st- I still struggle with it some days when I really wish that I could, you know, do two pull-ups as opposed to just one. I wish that I could go for a run just because I want to go for a run, which doesn't happen often, but does. Yeah. So I think for me, it, it's not necessarily body image in the sense that I'm worried about weight. It's more that I just, I don't recognize this body as it is right now. I think that's such a good point because during pregnancy, it's a very, very slow process. And so even though you kind of wake up, you know, there, there are days along the way where you do wake up and think like, Whoa, what happened last night over overall, you know, it's when you're pregnant, it feels like you're pregnant for a hundred years. And then with postpartum, like you give birth and literally within minutes, your entire body 
is wildly different in a way that I can't really even, I don't think there's any other experience outside of like a super traumatic injury where like a really horrific thing would happen to your body where something like that happens where all of a sudden within minutes, your entire, the way your body feels, the way it works, the way it acts, just the switch just flips and it changes. So I can totally relate to that. And I think that it's interesting. And I, I mean, I think we're talking about it more and more, but up until the last few years, very few people ever talked about that postpartum period where all of a sudden you were like, it wasn't like, oh, you're, you gave birth and now you're just back to the way you were. Like your body will never be back to the way it was. I was thinking about that today while I was taking a shower. I was like, man, I'm, you know, Evie's two and a half and I will never have the body that I used to have. And not even just the weight, but like, even if I weighed the same, the way that my weight is distributed will be different. I mean, my, my hips will never be the same. Obviously my boobs will never be the same. Like, you know, the skin, on, but like more so than just the obvious things, like the skin on my stomach, but like the alignment of my hips feels like it's changed forever. Like these little things and the, the distribution of fat on my body feels like it's forever changed. Like, and you, it, it is really hard to accept and embrace that like, this is the body you've always had because it is so sudden. And then on top of that, you've just gone through a really like difficult physical experience, potentially a truly traumatic experience for some people. Now you have this baby who is hopefully healthy, but might not be. You know, I think that's one thing that I've really learned a lot from friends of mine who have had babies who have not been healthy, where it's like, you know, everyone just says like, oh, well, you got a healthy baby out of it. Like, well, what if you didn't get a healthy baby out of it? Quote unquote, you know, out of it. Like, what if you went home with without a baby because your baby was in the NICU or or, you know, what if your baby has long-term, you know, a disability or cerebral palsy or something like it's also not just about, oh, well, as long as your baby's healthy, because like, well, what if your baby's not healthy? You know, that doesn't necessarily reflect on anything that you did or didn't do either. And there's so much wrapped up in that, like, well, as long as you're healthy. And I think that regardless of whether you are healthy or your baby is healthy, there is still this profound transformation that is just so abrupt. I also wanted to comment on the the pregnancy weight gain thing and just say for anyone listening who's going through this, when I was pregnant with Miles, I worked out every day. I ate paleo. I think I did a whole 30 during my pregnancy like a psycho. I was, I did all of the things, right? I gained 52 pounds. When I was pregnant with Evie, I threw up every day. All I could eat was cream cheese and crackers, apple cider donuts, and chicken soup until she was two weeks old. And I gained 52 pounds. There was nothing I could have done to have gained more weight or less weight. My body was going to gain the weight that it was going to gain to do what it needed to do. Absolutely. And I just think that we talk about this outside of pregnancy. Weight is one metric of health. It's not the metric of health. And so it's. I think it's okay to track because one of the biggest reasons to track it is for fluid retention. And with fluid retention, that can mean things like uh, blood pressure is too high or hydration is off or that makes total sense. So that's why it needs to be tracked. But if we're, we're being so like meticulous with it as we would be in normal life, like it doesn't pan out. 
because you have two healthy babies with two different pregnancy experiences and the same result and you're you are healthy and you that you are fine without obviously like diminishing the experience like you were fine with that weight gain that weight gain was not unhealthy and but someone would look at it in a numbers way and just be like oh that was an unhealthy pregnancy like no it wasn't once again an absurd amount of people gain more weight than is recommended which means that something's going on here it means that the numbers are not something we need to be tied to end of story so you also take a lot of questions from people and you work with people one-on-one and the big question that's been around and thankfully isn't like the get your body back mentality anymore i would hope that we're trending away from that but still people are going to ask you how do i lose weight postpartum what do you say and what do you guide people to do like without it being like this get your body back because people still ask that question I do. And I think I get it from a different level now because I get wanting to feel more yourself in your body again. And I respect that on a whole new level of I, I also want to feel myself in my body again. And I don't think I'm truly there yet. I think I'm still on that journey. But the whole trying to shrink back down and get smaller is that's a narrative that we really, I think, need to do away with. And here's the thing is that just like Claire was saying, like you are forever postpartum at this point. Like you can't go back. You can't turn back. Your body is a completely new body. Not to mention you just experienced nine plus months, maybe less, but nine plus months of being pregnant and you expect it to go back to normal in six weeks. Like I think six weeks is people's gold standard because that's when you go back to see your OB and they're like, yeah, you're great. Go have fun. Okay. Like my six week self was not okay mentally or physically. So if you are, I'm jealous. <laughs> um, but that's where we're like, what? like, okay, you had this child for nine months or you were pregnant for nine months and now you want to get back in six weeks. Okay. Take a step back, give yourself nine months to even start figuring out, get your feet under you, let alone, like you're no longer just taking care of you. You're taking care of another being. And so we need to take a step back and recognize that like we have unrealistic expectations of when our body's supposed to go back and it's never going to go back. Um, so instead we need to focus on First and foremost, if you're feeding your child, like feed your child the best you possibly can. I do think like having the discussion around breastfeeding, I know it's a sensitive subject. You feed your baby however you and your baby need to be fed. This is not judgment or shame. But if you are breastfeeding in any capacity, whether that's pumping, whether that's exclusively breastfeeding, nursing, combination, or you're doing supplementing formula and breastfeeding, your body is still going through a hormonal shift. Your body is likely going to hold on to fat stores so that your body can produce enough milk for your child. So the thought that you are going to go back to your pre-pregnancy weight while still nursing or breastfeeding, pumping in some fashion is just unrealistic. Yes, there are some people who do. That's just how their bodies respond. But for most people to sustain their supply, they're going to hold on to weight. I think I'm at least five, maybe 10 pounds above my pre-pregnancy weight right now. And that's literally the last thing on my mind. I, I choose to breastfeed. And so I choose to also make sure that I'm eating enough, which means that I'm probably going to sit a little bit higher than, you know, maybe would be quote unquote healthy per, you know, whoever the doctors that be. So that's something to consider. And then the next thing to consider is, okay, if I do want to lose weight, I need to not jump on the next MLM diet 
or I need to not restrict everything. And that's, it's a vulnerable population. That's who ends up getting sucked into these MLMs because they feel like there's no other option. The only option must be something extreme because what used to work doesn't work anymore. And it doesn't work anymore because you just went through an incredibly traumatic experience and your body has been through hell and back and it's stressed the heck out. You may or may not be sleeping. You may have to feed yourself with one hand while shushing a baby and, you know, also doing 10 other things around the house. So like, we just need to be more realistic with our expectations. And obviously media and social media and diet culture don't help any of this. Um, But, you know, if you're in that process, give yourself time, buy new clothes, like have fun with that, you know, get new clothes for your mom bod. Um, We don't ever shame dads for their dad bod. And you know why they get a dad bod? Because they also be, I mean, they're not as busy as moms. I'm just going to say that, but they, they have more responsibility. So they probably have less time to be also, you know, counting macros or meal prepping or going to the gym five or six days a week. And, you know, that's okay. That doesn't mean you're unhealthy. It just means that you have a different body and that's okay. So I also want to just chime in and say, I weigh 20 to 25 pounds more than I did before pregnancy. And I probably always will for the rest of my life. Oh, well, I have thrown away my pre-pregnancy low rise jeans. Plus low rise jeans aren't in anymore. So lucky me. Yeah, I can't. Keep I got up with to get that. rid of the skinnies. But like I think that, you know, I just wish that more people would be like, after I had miles, getting back to my pre-pregnancy weight was very important to me. After I had Evie, I was like, I just don't care. Where did that metric come from? Why am I holding myself to this number that existed at a time in my life where my life looked completely different than how it looks now? And not just, oh, I went through pregnancy and oh, I had this weight gain and I need to give myself grace to, you know, it's it's not going to, I'm not going to be able to lose it right away. But like, what if I just never lose it? What if I just have this weight now and it's not a big deal and I live my life in a slightly larger pair of pants? Like I really, really relate. And I think a lot of the the moms on here really, really relate to what you said about wanting to feel at home in my body again. And that for me required more work around really letting go of obsessing over what my body, what like I felt like in my body all the time. I forget where I read this recently. Was it an email we got or it might've been a social media post that maybe even you did. Someone recently was like, I asked my husband if they love their body and he looked at me and was like, no, what a weird question. You know, like, men don't, you know, like this concept of like loving our bodies. Like, why are we so obsessed with that? Why are you so obsessed with me? Like, it's just, you know, maybe we just need to let that go and be like, I don't need to love my body every second of every day. I just exist in it. I appreciate the hell out of it. I respect it, but I don't need to like bond over it all the time. Like, can it just like be this like, super, let it do what it needs to do. Yeah. Like let it do what it needs to do. And, it's- and I think this brings up a good question, Laura, that segues into really everybody, not only postpartum, but can you want to lose weight without falling into diet culture? And that's another question that we got too. And so that kind of like, how do you answer that question? Yes. I think that I live I live in this gray area in the nutrition world and it's very hard to navigate and I'm I'm the one that's supposed to be like, you know, ahead of it, but sometimes I'm struggling paddling through it as well. 
But yes, you can want to lose weight. There is nothing wrong with wanting to improve your body or change your body as long as it comes from a healthy spot. If you're wanting to lose weight because you're trying to fit into this cultural norm or you're trying to look like your favorite influencer, you know, newsflash, you're never going to look like that person because you're not that person. But it doesn't mean that if you truly are coming from a spot of, I want to lose weight because it's something that's going to help me. It's going to improve my life. It's going to, you know, it's going to be a healthy means of doing so. Then yes, by all means, you can work on losing weight. The problem with weight loss is weight loss is not linear. And so people want it to be like, I'm going to lose two pounds a week for the next six weeks and bam, there's my 12 pound weight loss. No, it doesn't work that way. For a lot of men, it will work that way. For a lot of females, it will not. And so I think what ends up happening is women then just start crash dieting because it's like, oh my God, it's not working. The basics that I'm supposed to, that are supposed to be working are not working. So now all of a sudden I do dive down the diet, diet culture rabbit hole. There we go. So, you know, I think that's where the problem lies is that we're putting in the work, but it's like, I think I've seen on social media too. It's like the, this graph or of this like line graph. And when you zoom in, it looks like you're doing really bad, but then you zoom out and it's like, oh, it was just a bad week or a bad month or whatever. We can look back and we're actually seeing improvements over the long haul. But when we're looking from day to day or, you know, weighing ourselves day to day, we see no change. So we assume we're bad. We assume that we're, you know, a failure. And so then we try to diet harder or, you know, restrict harder, whatever it might be. And then what happens is we end up down regulating our metabolism. And now it's harder to lose weight because we literally went from doing all the right stuff, giving ourselves the foundation. And then all of a sudden we're just like, oh, let's go eat 800 calories a day because that's the only way I can possibly lose weight. That's when it becomes unhealthy. But if you're doing it from a healthy place, you know, I tell most of my clients, like we are working on that foundations. I need you to have a healthy relationship with food before we can work on weight loss. It's okay that you want to lose weight, but it's not okay if you're going in it and from a really negative place, if you're doing it because you think you look terrible and you're telling yourself that you're a terrible person because of it, there is no worth associated with your weight at all. So, you know, I think that you can, it's just a matter of how, and sometimes you're going to need help. You're going to need help to do it if you struggle with diet culture because you're going to need someone holding your hand to make sure that you don't fall back down that rabbit hole. Right. I was just going to ask you, like as a dietitian, how do you skate the world of you know, diet culture and thinness is really horrible. How do we not feed into the fat phobia and loving all bodies at all sizes? I think that's just what I struggle with when I see people, you know, wanting to lose weight where I'm like, why? Why do we want to lose weight? So it doesn't always have to be bad. It doesn't have to be black or white. It's just that people can have that goal for themselves and we, it's not our place to judge it. I think it's just important, like, that we're looking at the cultural, cultural aspects of it too, of like, why are we focused on, on, is it thinness? I don't know what it is, but. Um, you know, as a dietitian, you're teaching people to be to eat healthy or to eat well. I mean, what is it that you're like, what is your mindset when you're going into that? I feel like what my where my strength is, is that I teach people how to fuel themselves without feeling like they need to diet. Like we're, we're basically, I was talking to some dietitian friends today, like, 
I'm trying to help them undiet. I'm not telling you not to diet. I'm not telling you not to, you know, if you feel better when you're eating gluten-free, great. If you feel better with, you know, eating vegetarian, great. There's a way to do everything, but we need to do it from a place of this feels good and, and I'm fueling myself as opposed to coming from a place of I need to restrict to get smaller. There's a complete difference. And I also don't need you to go the other way of being like, well, you know, the heck with it. I'm just, you know, going to eat everything and anything that's not tied down. Like we can find a happy medium. And to do that, we built, we work to build a better relationship with food. So with a lot of my clients, I'll have them journal and some of them will look at macros. Some of them are truly just looking at around their rhetoric around meals. Like, what are we saying when we eat? Are we saying that we're good? Are we saying that we're bad? Instead, we should say, how do I feel? How does this make me feel? Am I hungry? Am I not hungry? Things like that. And then we also work on eating consistently. I find across the board, there is this like notion with females that we're supposed to eat a small breakfast or not at all. And then we don't understand why in the evening when the kids go to sleep, we literally eat everything that's not bolted down. And it's because we're hungry. And instead, we just sit there and we think, oh, I'm I'm a terrible person because I have no control. No, you don't have control because you're hungry. You know, your body's screaming at you to feed it. And we normally can take a step back. And I would say like most of my clients come to me and they're not eating breakfast or they're eating, you know, 200 calories for breakfast and they're being good all day long until 8 p.m. And they're like, well, I'm no longer good. And I'm like, well, first off, you're not good or bad because of the way you ate. You're good or bad, you know, because of the way you treat people, not the way you eat. So instead, we've refocused that and we say, okay, why are you eating so much late at night? Because you're not fueling yourself. So we work on that consistency as well of just like, we, we are told that we're not supposed to feed ourselves. And what happens when we don't feed ourselves is that we end up binging at some other point. We end up making up for it. Like the 12 calorie, 12 calorie, whoa, the 1200 calorie diet that is still rampant. And I don't understand. People are like, well, I don't lose weight on it. So I have to eat less. The reason you're not losing weight is normally because you get hangry and you end up eating double and then some because you're start 1200 calories is absurd. Like it is not enough fuel. And there are dietitians who recommend it and I am not vouching for them. Like they are fighting their own battle. And if they want to come at me, I don't think they want to come at me. Yeah, please come at you. But I mean, why did they do that? I mean, it's the same thing with the, what is it? The new MLM thing that they're marketing. Like, like why, why is that the magic number? When did that happen? Have you guys just heard Laura literally growl? Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I want to apologize. So sorry. Honestly, we asked for questions from our listeners for this episode and like 10 people, their response was just please rant. Just please rant about. Yeah. Just let her talk. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sometimes I'm like, do you guys really want that? Do you want to see me? Like Heck how yes. I am on social oh media gosh. is yeah, it's the best. My God. You see what you see is what you get. I don't know why 1200 calories is, is the magic number, but apparently it's going down, not up. It's going down. So if you want me to go down this Octavia rabbit hole. Yeah, what is it? After me. What is it? And, and and I think it's important what you said earlier of how they kind of prey on postpartum women because they're like, look, you can just make it easy for yourself. You have a baby to take care of. Just take these meals. And I also think, you know, I don't want to, I think postpartum is obviously a huge vulnerable population, but right now we're seeing diet 
culture, just the flames being fanned because of the post, you know, post pandemic, quote unquote, post pandemic weight gain, like your quarantine 15, you know, everybody's saying, oh, you know, we've all gained weight over the past year because we were all inside just like eating comfort snacks and fail to mention that we all just went through like a massive collective trauma and maybe gaining weight was a super totally fine way to cope with it. And you don't need to just turn around and start eating a bunch of nasty packaged meals as your penance. Yeah, I would agree. I actually think that I was thinking that when we were talking about like accepting your body at a different weight or a different size, like post pandemic, like these seasons of life, everybody goes through them. Some people go through bigger seasons than others. And so it doesn't have to just be postpartum, like copy and paste this on another when you have a different season of your life, like a new job or, um, you know, moving across country, moving across the world, like whatever it might be. But yes, I feel like it's, they prey upon the vulnerable and it's so sad to see because like I was ranting this morning on Instagram about Octavia and the amount of people who reached out to me of like, I did this or I so-and-so did this. And it was because of X, Y, and Z. And a lot was because of the pandemic. Like we are seeing this like uptick of diet culture because everyone's freaking out, right? We're going, we're going back out to eat to restaurants. We're going back to work. We're going, we're going to be more visible. We have to put clothes back on. Now, all of a sudden we just expect our body to shed all these pounds. So we must do something extreme as opposed to realizing like it's been a year and a half of very traumatic experience. And now we're coming out of it. Like our bodies have been stressed. The last thing we need to do is stress it further by eating the meals that look so disgusting. They look like um, food food models from like the 1990s. They don't even look like real food. They look like what dietitians used to use to teach people serving sizes <laughs> and they were fake plastic food. So um, there's that. Um, and just, uh, you know, going with supplements uh, or promoting supplements, promoting less than 1200 calorie diets and whatnot. So um, I don't know if you want me to rant on that or I don't know where I was going with that to be completely honest. Well, I think it's just the, the- the idea too that that is a fix like that yeah. it's not a and, and fixing what I guess but like it's not why is that not an answer why do why should we not turn to those products usually because they are not they're not you're not getting an expert when you're going towards these products Octavia somehow I think it's because they used to be Metafast is what I'm learning and Metafast is from like years ago it's prescri- not prescribed it's recommended by doctors. And so people put a lot of clout with their doctor thinking, oh, well, my doctor told me to do it. It must be what I need. And so now all of a sudden we're going down this rabbit hole of, okay, they go to Octavia, but Octavia, you have a coach and the coach is someone who is literally just selling you garbage. They have no idea how to actually coach you. They're not qualified to coach you. They're not qualified to tell you what to eat or what to supplement. They have no idea what to do. Like if someone goes to them and is like, oh, well, I have a history of an eating disorder. They're gonna be like, oh, cool. Great. This is perfect for you you here's two you know three pieces of gum for your snack okay like that person is going to end up in deep doo-doo like and that's a real recommendation from the website that's not just like an example you pull off the top of your head no 
oh God, no, my head is not where what it used to be. <laughs> it's hard to remember anything, um, but that is actually on the Octavia website. Uh, or you could have two dill pickles. But that's, I think, the scary part is them, Herbalife, and enter all MLMs here. You don't have to be a qualified expert to provide information and recommendations. And that's really what's scary. And a lot of people are always like, what about this MLM? What about this one? And I'm like, listen, I'm not a fan of MLMs in general, but I'm less of a fan and more outraged by those that provide information on nutrition and supplements and are just like the ep- the epitome of bad diet culture. Sure, if you want to sell your skincare, I whatever. But like for you selling a supplement, like that can do damage to somebody. Like not only can it do damage to their organs, but it can also do damage to their relationship with food. And now this person no longer knows how to feed themselves and they end up gaining more weight than losing because they're like, they have no idea what the heck they're doing. And as a dietitian, you're looking at everything from your professional lens and that includes doing no harm. So when you see people that just kind of get to take this advice and say things willy nilly, they don't understand the impact that they're having on people's lives. So I know that you post a lot about MLMs in your stories and on social media, just from an educational standpoint, what is the argument that you're wrong from people who are in MLMs? What are they saying? I was just sitting here. I'm like, I'm not wrong. Um, <laughs> I know you're not wrong, but, yes, but you know, like, what is yes, the argument yes, back? I, get, I do get clapbacks, <laughs> but I'm sitting here. I'm like, what? I'm not wrong, Joy. Um, oh, no, no. They think I'm very wrong. A lot of times they'll come at me and say, but it worked for me. Here's the thing. I'm never going to discredit you if something worked for you because guess what? There are exceptions to every rule ever. So if something worked for you and you feel good and you feel confident in your body and you're healthy for you, like round of applause. I'm happy for you. I'm not going to sit here and tell you not to do it. What I'm going to tell you is that what works for you does not work for other people. And you pushing that upon someone because you're trying to make a check is really not ethical. Like there's a lot of issues surrounding that. And you have no idea, like these Herbalife shops, you have no idea who's walking in your door and who you're trying to push a supplement upon. And they're probably very vulnerable. That's why they're there. Um, And so like, I just think there's a lot wrong with that by all means. If you're healthy, great. And then another argument is like, oh, well, I, cause I think in my article, I say like a lot of them are not profitable a lot. Of, and the FTC shows that like 99% of people who sell MLM products are not profitable. And that is a big one. They always come back. They're like, I'm profitable. I'm like, yeah, right? maybe if anyone has any question about that, just listen to the podcast, the dream, just yeah. listen to the podcast, the dream, listen to that entire series and you will learn a lot about it. And it's like, we never want to be bashing someone's success. So if you had success with it, awesome. And not a lot of people have that story, unfortunately. MLMs, but it's also any sort of diet trend. Like we, you ran a lot about like Noom. We ran a lot about like, you know, any type of kind of up and coming diet trend that kind of makes you want to think, oh, it's different, but really it's still just 1200 calories packaged in a different bow. Here we all are sort of like always somehow defaulting to that, that in, you know, that you hear these success stories, you read these testimonies testimonials, you see these before and afters. And I think all of us, no matter how 
much work we've done to unplug ourselves from diet culture still have that just like serotonin hit when we see that of like, oh, that person must be so much happier now that they're in their after photo. I want that. And it's so hard to not react that way, even just for a split second, even if you can talk yourself out of it, even if you know that's like objectively unhealthy, even if you know that you've gone down the right row before and it didn't work, you still have that knee-jerk reaction. How do you talk to people and like, what advice do you give to people who really want to reclaim their thought process around diet culture, but still feel like, yeah, but, and I want that success and I want that after photo. For a lot of people who I work with, they're in a season of their life where their responsibilities are not their own, meaning that they have kids or pets or careers, multiple careers, houses, like all these different responsibilities. And I always ask them like, like, do you have all this time in the world to dedicate to your nutrition and to your fitness? And a lot of times the answer is no. And so that's my response. My response then is, okay, so then why do you think that this would be a good idea? Or why, like, why are you comparing yourself to a 20 year old who of course looks great? Like she has a lot more time on her plate. Like that's her life. When I was 20, I was working out a lot more and could eat whatever I wanted because that was life. So that's something that I always try to draw back of like, what season of life are you in? What time do you have to actually dedicate to it? And then what can we prioritize for you so that makes sense? And then I also think, I, you know, we talk about like, who are you comparing yourself to? And if it's people that, you know, are in your life, whether they're close friends or family or social media people, like unfollow them because they're, it's unrealistic to think that we are going to have the same before and after. And you have no idea what happened after the after. You have no clue. First off, you have no clue what happened between the before and after. Like people can fabricate anything these days, but then you have no idea. Like, are they smiling because someone said, say, cheese or are they smiling because they are truly happy? You have no idea. So wouldn't it be way better to find your own happy, to find your own rhythm with nutrition and fitness in the season of life that you're in? Yes, it's way more fulfilling. Yes, it's not going to look as sexy as these before and after pictures, but life isn't sexy. (laughs) Like That's just life. Um, So I don't know. I think that there's a lot of work we tried. It's a lot of undoing. What I do is, this is what I talked about the dietitian of like, shout out to them, love them. So like, it's a lot of undoing, a lot of uncomplicating things, a lot of unfollowing people. A lot of unlearning. Stuff. It's so unlearning, much unlearning. All of yeah. it. It's just like, yeah. un and just like knowing that, yes, you can want weight loss and you can work on your body and you can work on your nutrition. There's nothing wrong with it, but why are you doing it? Are you doing it because you want to look like that person? Okay, but why is that person happy? Do you know that the person's happy? Like, is it just because they reached a certain aesthetic or a certain number on the scale? And one question I always ask my clients is, do you look at a person and think of a number? No, you're not looking at someone and being like, you're 150 pounds. No, you're looking at a person and you're going, oh, they're funny. I like their hair. Or like, I like the way they make me feel. Or I love how good of a cook they are. Like that's, there's a lot more that we think about a person in front of us than we ever think about their body or because we're normally thinking about our own body. Like when we go to the beach or the gym, we're worried about what we look like. Oh yeah, Guess always. What? So always. was it's everybody the else. internal battle. Yeah, it's yeah. the internal battle for sure. And I think everybody can 
say that, yes, they know that, but it's always that internal voice. You mentioned this a lot too, and I want you to talk briefly about it. And then I want to do like some lightning round questions because we're running out of time, which I knew was going to happen. Who to work with if they do want to work with a dietitian? And the reminder that just because someone, it worked for someone on Instagram doesn't mean that they can all of a sudden coach you how to do it because they don't have the credentials. So what credentials are they looking for if they do want to work with someone? So obviously I'm biased. A dietitian or a CNS is the gold standard. However, there are not great dietitians out there. If you're looking to work with someone, someone asked me, I think this week, and they're like, can I just go to a dietitian just to see if things are okay? The answer is yes. And I wish that more people did that. Like think about most people go to the dentist once or twice a year for cleanings. You know, you, you go to different professionals just to check in. You can do the same with a dietitian. Now, obviously, there aren't tons of dietitians who are not working in hospitals. Like our private practice field is actually relatively small. It might feel large on social media, but it's actually relatively small for the amount of people that are out there. Um, So if you can't find one, there are other options, but it depends what you need. So if you need help navigating just general, like learning how to put food on the table, you could find a health coach. There's tons of different certifications. My recommendation is to to interview them. Like ask them if you can set up a call with them. All clients who work with me can set up a 15-minute call with me. Not yet. Nobody nobody call yet. I'm still trying to figure out this postpartum life. But I, I always offer that free 15-minute call because I want to make sure that we even vibe as, as client and provider. You know, it's just like Uh, Joy, you talk about therapists, right? Like it takes a while to figure that out. So you might need to do the same thing. And I would also ask the person what their scope is, like what they're able to do for you. If they don't know, or they are unable to tell you, or if they're like, I can do it all. That's a red flag because chances are they have no idea. And And so you run the Scope is, just explain really quick, like scope would mean like their expertise, their level of expertise, their knowledge in a certain area. So if you're like, I want this specific subject. And also most nutritionists are not supposed to be prescribing diets, aka like they shouldn't be telling you to do paleo or do a low salt diet. A dietitian can do that. That's part of our scope. Part of our scope is also that we can work with disease states. So if you have something like diabetes and you go to a health coach or nutritionist and they're telling you how to manage your blood sugars, that's a red flag. They should they should refer you to a dietitian because you have a disease state that is vulnerable to the changes within your nutrition. Pregnancy is actually one too. So your CrossFit trainer who has never been pregnant probably not going to be good to work with. Even if they have been pregnant, it's still a medical clinical state. And it's a state that should be monitored by someone who knows the risks and the benefits of working with nutrition. If you're totally just like, you have that question of like, there's no dietitian near me. I just want to see if what I'm doing makes sense. Like, sure, a nutritionist health coach might be the perfect fit because it's easily accessible and they can just kind of, you know, give you advice. They should also be able to refer you out. I refer clients out. Like if a client comes to me and says, I have an eating disorder, I refer them out because that's not my scope. I could handle it under my license, but it's not what I, it's not my practice. So it can be confusing. Um, but I would say if, if you ask them what their scope is and what they're able to provide you, that should be a pretty clear indicator if there's someone that you should even consider working with. Got it. Okay. Awesome. So quick questions from the audience and so many of these questions, I was like, 
Everybody just needs to read intuitive eating. Please just read all the intuitive eating books because there's so many questions that I'm like, oh, this is just a lot, a larger discussion. Um, but let's let's answer some simple ones just for time's sake. Um, let's talk about the hydration multiplier. Yes or no? Yes. It because of electrolytes, not because of the fact that it's marketed as a hydration multiplier. Electrolytes help to draw water into the cell, and a lot of us are not efficient at doing that, especially when we're sweating. So electrolytes are really, really valuable. They don't have to be liquid IV. They can be Noon, Gatorade. There's a ton of different products on the market. So yes, if you're a heavy sweater and you feel like you can't get hydrated, then it's a great option. It's not to replace your water. It's not to say I can have one glass of water and then I'm done for the day. Still drink your eight glasses of water. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Speaking of water, does LaCroix count as hydration? Yes. It does? Yes. Okay. I don't know why I feel like fizzy water is bad. I don't know why where that came Every, from. Is I get it okay? that question all the time. <laughs> yes. Would I? Do I want to see that as your only source of hydration? No. Sure. But can it be a part of your hydration? Absolutely. Okay. I have a quick one. This isn't coming from our listeners, but just from my head. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> what do people get wrong about working with a dietitian? The biggest one is that I feel like they think that we're the food police. Like I. Th- sometimes have to tell clients like, I am not judging you. I am not here to judge anything that you eat or do at all. You're not going to pass fail my program. So I'm not judging, not shaming. And if someone is, whether it's a dietitian or health coach, you need to find somebody else because that is not our job. We are, uh, what's the right word? Uh, non-biased coaches. Like we should not have any bias as far as like, Ooh, you had a candy bar. Ooh, like, no, are you kidding? We all do. And I can't help you. I always tell all my clients, like literally day one, I'm like, you have to be honest with me so that I can best help you. I'm never judging you. Instead, if I, if you don't tell me the truth, then I can't truly help you. And that hurts both of us. Dairy intolerance, favorite non-dairy milk. Most seem to have a lot of crap in them. I think it depends. <laughs> Here I go again. It depends. Mostly depends on why you're using it. If it's a splash of you know milk in your coffee, do what you like. So if you like the flavor of oat milk, have oat milk. If you like almond milk, have almond milk. But if you're using it in a larger capacity, like if you're having a bunch of smoothies and shakes and cereal and all that stuff, then it becomes important. And there's no best dairy alternative. I would say if you're looking at one that's more comparable to milk would be soy milk. And everyone's like, ah, soy, Uh, but soy is not going to kill you. I would say that's actually the most comparable. Rice, I think is a close second. Rice does have its own issues with arsenic. So it depends the quantity of which you're consuming it. And the rest, it's really just like, why are you having it? If you're having it because you want a glass of milk, then maybe we could find a better, a better drink or a better snack. Um, but you know, I think that's where it becomes tricky. Um, I personally like the flavor of oat milk better. If you truly are worried about the additives, oat milk is like one of the easiest milks to make yourself. Um, cause it's just oats and water and it takes like no time at all. So that's an option as well. If you're concerned about that, I don't love almond milk. I think it tastes like water, but I do too. There's, there's nothing wrong with it per se. I just don't like it. <laughs> Is the Oat Yeah brand okay from Silk? That's what I drink and I really like Honestly, it. Honestly, don't. I haven't seen it, but my guess <laughs> Here is... Here I go thinking you're going to guilt me. I'm like, that's what I like. <laughs> yeah, look at you. You're like, oh. Listen, 
Joy. Don't, don't judge me. Yeah, it's so funny. I ate star, Starburst, Lemonheads, and Mints my first trimester. Three solid yes. months, guys. No judgment. No judgment here. Okay. I didn't judge uh, myself. Nor should you. Yeah. No, this is a judgment-free podcast. Some things. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Except for MLMs. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> is there truth to the starvation mode theory where your body holds on to weight? 45 seconds. Okay. I'm like, how long do you have? No. I mean, yes, in some sense. So your body, if you're not eating enough fuel, your metabolism or your BMR, your basal metabolic rate of what you need to live and breathe and organs function will downregulate. So if normally it's 1400, it could go down to 1200. That is what you need baseline just to be alive. So it might downregulate. So that way your body can function on less food. However, what normally happens is that, like we said before, so now you've downregulated, maybe your body's around 1200 calories of just needing to be. And now you like, you know, eating 1400 calories when you were eating, you know, 1600 before is the same difference, if that makes sense. So you end up putting on weight because your body needs less fuel because you downregulated, but you're actually over consuming more than you were before. And so what happens is we end up eating more than our body needs. It doesn't mean that we should then say, oh, I'll just keep eating less. Instead, we should work on improving our BMR again. And to do that, a lot of times we have to, it's called reverse dieting, whatever you want to call it. But a lot of times we have to eat more food, put on some weight, get ourselves back to a better homeostasis, and then we can work on weight loss in the future. Um, but no, and what, if you think about it, like if, if you were to track 1200 calories for a week, my guess is, is that by day four, if you've, you're really good, I guess, um, I hate using the word good, then you're going to, you're going to binge 1200 calories is literally not enough food. And so what happens is everyone thinks I'm being good 1200 calories for the week. And then my weekends are just, I'm eating everything that's not tied down, eating 3000, 4,000 calories. And now you do out the math over the seven days and you have not been at 1200 calories. Yeah. That's like very Tim Ferriss circa 2007 of like, <laughs> you know, remember when he wrote that book and he's like, eat whatever oh, you want on Saturdays or whatever. It's just like, yeah, the um, lovely four-hour work week. Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. It's it's just like the reverse dieting thing made me think of, and I'm sorry, I'm opening a can of worms, but like the bodybuilding community. And from your point as a dietitian, is that constantly doing that really, really screwing a body up? I don't know. Would be my answer. I don't know that we know, but I would think yes, and I would also think that there's a mental component with it. No matter how well one does that, I think that there's a mental component that definitely would mess with you and would mess with your relationship with food and how you eat for the long term. Not to mention if you're going down that bodybuilder rabbit hole, like I can't imagine, I've never done it myself, so I don't have experience, but I can't imagine being that lean and worried that much about my aesthetic look. I mean, it's all about look, like you're getting judged for how you look and, and you're getting praised for how you look in a body that they, a lot of that community talks about how they don't feel good when they're that lean. They, they acknowledge it, but now, you know, you look at how you look in the mirror, 
you know, a few weeks after and, but you were praised on stage. Like, what does that do to your psyche? I I can only imagine, and I've never been through it. And so I think that would definitely have, would have a huge impact on your mental health Mm -hmm. around food. Yeah. Well, you always do Q and A's on your stories. So if you're not already following the Sassy Dietitian, please go follow her because you are always doing Q and A day what day is it? Like every Thursday? Wednesday. Wednesday. Every Wednesday. And then sprinkled in when I have a few moments. Right, right. Which is great. So if your question did not get answered today, you can always join her on stories and ask your questions there. Where else can people find you? Website? Website, Instagram. That's pretty much the only place I'm hanging out right okay. now. And with my ch- tiny child at home. <laughs> Please so don't cute. come to my home. <laughs> okay, I want to I end with a lightning round of this or that. Ooh. Ooh, I okay. love these. Tacos or burritos? Tacos. Pancakes or waffles? Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> ah. <laughs> waffles. Donuts or bagels? Bagels. Smoothies or acai bowls? Smoothies. Chips or pretzels? Chips. Fries or tots? Tots. Cake or pie? Pie. Joy or Claire? No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, ah, I'm already sweating. Jeez. Laura, thank you so much thank for coming you so on. Much. Oh, so much thank fun. you. You guys are the best. And guys, you can find us at joyandclaire underscore on Instagram. This is joyandclaire at gmail.com. Our website is joyandclaire.com. Come hang out with us. Find us every week. You can subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends about us. We would really appreciate it. And we'll talk to you next Thursday. Bye, guys. Bye.